1: are reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear
0: call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shab LLC production.
1: Today, we're going to discuss how the world's biggest retailer should fit into your marketing strategy. Joining us is Kiri Masters, who's the founder of Bob Sled Marketing, which is a digital marketing agency with years of proven results and experience in helping brands scale on Amazon to level up their sales. Kiri is also the author of the book, Amazon for CMOs, and she's also the co-host of the e-commerce brain trust podcast. And today, Kiri and I are going to walk through where she thinks Amazon should fit into your e-commerce strategy. Okay, here's my conversation with Kiri Masters, founder of Bobsled Marketing. Kiri, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks
2: for having me, Ben. Great to be here.
1: I'm excited to talk a little bit about e-commerce, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I spent seven years working at eBay when it was the 800-pound gorilla in the e-commerce room. And over the last decade, eBay and every other retailer on the planet has got their lunch eaten by Amazon. You're an Amazon specialist. First off, let's talk a little bit about the e-commerce landscape. Break down to me how big is Amazon and where does it fit into the greater landscape in terms of e-commerce players today?
2: Well, I was going to say that eBay, well, I'm Australian, if you couldn't already tell from my accent. And eBay's actually really still the main marketplace in Australia. So it's not had the same experience the world over, just as a side note.
1: Yeah, eBay is definitely still the world's biggest marketplace. The problem that they've had is that people want things to be delivered now yeah, and they want wide breadth of selection. eBay has that, but Amazon has really taken over in terms of being able to deliver products faster, make the experience more consistent and make it more seamless. And now the competition seems to be Amazon, Walmart, Target, all the other big box retailers How do you think about outside of just eBay specifically, who are the other major players and how dominant is Amazon in e-commerce?
2: I think you hit the nail on the head, which is the fulfillment component. And that's what Amazon really came out of the gate with their Prime program and fulfillment by Amazon and the fact that. Now millions of merchants who don't have a warehouse can leverage Amazon's warehouses and they've got over a hundred around the US and dozens in Europe and Japan and Australia and Brazil and Turkey now. And that has been the real catalyst for them being able to offer free and fast delivery, starting with two-day delivery. And then we went down to one-day delivery last year and now we're at same-day delivery and expand just so seamlessly into people's lives because there is no friction when you're shopping on Amazon. They have your credit card details, they have your mailing address, they have your mum's mailing address. You know They know so much about us both by observing our behavior and with the data that we explicitly tell them. So that's been a huge driver of their success compared to an eBay where they don't have that fulfillment option. And even Walmart doesn't have that fulfillment option for sellers. You still need to integrate with your own warehouse or third-party logistics. And the other sort of new entrant into the space that I'm keeping a very close eye on is Google as well. And it doesn't seem like they are going to do fulfillment either. So this is Amazon's major ace in their hand is their huge fulfillment network and the massive economies of scale that they get with that.
1: So Amazon has made it seamless for people to buy, right? They have all the information. Honestly, they're not fantastic at browsing and product recommendations, but whatever you're looking for tends to be on Amazon. But convenience, the user experience, all the data that they have, and the information they've made it easy to buy—I don't think any of this is a secret to our listeners. The differentiation between Amazon and some of the other e-commerce players is their ability to enable pretty much anybody to be a seller of a product, and so it's really on the seller side that they're differentiating as. A opposed to the buying experience, with the exception of sort of the seamless one-click and shipping, but it's pretty easy to buy stuff on Walmart and on eBay and all the other platforms. Do you see a shift in who is actually selling on Amazon? Is it all small sellers now? Are the big box retailers starting to sell on Amazon? Who is driving the supply?
2: It's a really interesting question because it's definitely changed over time. Initially, Amazon had a much greater control over the fat head of products off and Amazon. So the top 10,000 SKUs sold on Amazon, which would account for a large portion of their revenue, things like Sony TVs and Dyson vacuum cleaners and Mr. Coffee coffee machines, things like that, where there was so much volume, Amazon wanted to have what they call the first party position on that inventory. So they would buy inventory in traditional retail sense, send purchase orders in, the manufacturers would sell inventory to Amazon, Amazon owns the inventory. And then the marketplace component of Amazon was developed in some categories and rolled out to others. So they started with books and realized that they could essentially have endless selection if they opened it up as a marketplace rather than having to purchase inventory of all all the books that they sold. And then one of the next categories that they went into in the same fashion was toys. So originally, they had an exclusive agreement with Toys R Us for Toys R Us to be the sole supplier of toys on Amazon's platform. And there was a 10-year exclusivity agreement that they both went into. But Toys R Us decided we want to get people into the stores rather than shopping on Amazon. So we're not going to sell our most popular toys on Amazon. So Amazon realized that they weren't going to get any sales volume in the toy category unless they had the most popular toys. So they opened up the toy category to third party merchants who flooded in, offered all the selections, started driving down pricing because there's competition between the sellers And that's really how this merging of being a first party retailer and being a marketplace and letting those two parties often duke it out and fight it amongst themselves and in turn create lots of price competition and assortment competition. So it's evolved over time. It used to be much more dominated by first parties. These days, there's a very significant number of the unit volume on Amazon is over 50% now is sold by third-party sellers who could be anyone from some guy picking up extra stock from a Walmart and flipping it on Amazon on the weekends as an extra pocket money, right up to major brands who've decided that they want to have this more pricing control and brand protection control if you're a seller than if you're a first party vendor. So there's a huge range of players on the marketplace side, ranging from very small part-time resellers, people flipping stuff right up to pretty major brands that want to be on the marketplace.
1: What is the value of listing my products on Amazon and what are some of the risks?
2: The value comes from Amazon's traffic and the trust that customers have with Amazon, the convenience that they offer. And there's this sort of halo effect extended to Amazon just because of their A to Z guarantee and the one day shipping. And they're really, for the most part, a beloved brand for shoppers. So if you're a brand and you're selling on Amazon, you get to acquire some of that trust and reputation just by being on that platform. And if you're a new concept to that shopper, then they might be more prepared to take a chance on you as a brand or take a chance on your product if it's purchased through Amazon because they trust Amazon already. So it is a great net driver of new eyeballs and new sales to brands selling on the platform.
1: So Amazon brings the demand.
2: Yes, in a word, much more succinctly than I said it.
1: I'm just summarizing.
2: (laughs) They bring the demand. The downside is in a word control. And that comes down to there's no control that you can have as a manufacturer that you're the only one selling your products on Amazon. And this was breaking news today that Nike has just decided not to sell on Amazon at all. They entered into an agreement with Amazon a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, where Amazon was going to agree to not allow third-party merchants to sell Nike products on their site. That agreement didn't appear to materialize. There was never any fewer third-party sellers selling Nike products over the last few years. And we just heard today, they're not going to sell it directly to Amazon at all. And that's really a result of these third-party sellers being relatively speaking unpoliced and given fairly open parameters to sell whatever they want. And that's really opened the floodgates for counterfeiting or factory overruns being sold, this sort of gray market distribution stuff going on where it could still be a legitimate product, but it's
1: it fell off the truck,
2: fell off the truck. Yeah. So this gray market, I was reading some stats on this today, that the gray market represents about $40 billion in gross merchandise value every year. And that's coming out of the pockets of those brands generally.
1: It seems to me that the biggest risk for e-commerce companies is that when you're selling on Amazon, while you might be getting volume, you are doing two things. You're creating a toll booth. You have to pay Amazon a percentage of your revenue for the sales that you're driving So if your products are available on their platform, while it might be incremental sales, you're driving more consumers to Amazon and away from your existing domains. And the second thing is you don't control or own any of the data. And so you don't know who your customers are, only Amazon does. How do you weigh those risks against the incremental value that Amazon is driving in terms of demand?
2: So you're right that those are the big downsides when you compare Amazon to your own direct-to-consumer channel. You don't have that relationship with the customer. You can't retarget them. You can't survey them. You can't call them. You can't send them a nice holiday gift card. It's Amazon's customer, not your customer. It's also not that different to traditional retail where you used to sell inventory to Macy's. It was Macy's shopper walking through the door. Macy's had that data about what happened while they were in the store and you as the manufacturer get very little of that back from the retailer. So from that, it depends what you're comparing it against. If you're comparing it against traditional brick and mortar retail, you actually get more data back from Amazon about what keywords people search for, what they bought instead of your product, what the demographics are of the people buying on Amazon from your brand. You get more data than you would from traditional brick and mortar retail. But direct-to-consumer commerce, of course, is the gold standard. Everyone would rather have every customer come through their direct-to-consumer site. But I'd also say that that's fairly unrealistic in today's world. People want that convenience and ease of shopping.
1: So talk to me a little bit about how people are using Amazon as a marketing channel.
2: So I would also split out here. There's two types of advertisers on Amazon, just to start with advertising. There's, of course, the endemic brands that we've been talking about, companies who actually sell physical products on Amazon. They can, of course, advertise those products in search and in display advertising. But we're also seeing a larger number of non-endemic brands advertised on Amazon. These can be insurance companies, finance companies, car manufacturers. Like Amazon is also a very high traffic site just in and of itself. And because they know so much about us as shoppers, they're also able to provide a very attractive audience to a non-endemic advertiser. So I think that Amazon's really coming into its own as an ad platform, whether or not you sell physical products on the platform.
1: So walk me through what you mean by an endemic product. Is that just somebody that has a physical product as opposed to someone that doesn't?
2: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Okay. It's interesting to me, this concept that people are advertising on Amazon with actually when they're not selling a product on Amazon. Talk to me about how that works and what are some of the ad units and strategies that go into using Amazon as a marketing platform if you don't have a physical product.
2: So the program is called Amazon DSP, Amazon Demand Side Platform. And it's very similar to other DSPs out there where you can buy ad units on various sites and it's all purchased programmatically, impression-based. You have some control over the creative and targeting and things like that. What's interesting about Amazon DSP is when you compare it to other programmatic platforms, Amazon has all this actual shopping data and research data. So Facebook knows what we like. Google knows what we're researching. Amazon knows what we have actually purchased. And that's just a unique sort of data set of what you can use to target people with. So for example, I have a three-year-old son and I was recently on Amazon just either doing work or shopping. Those two things merge (laughs) throughout the day for me. But I was targeted with an ad for a college savings plan. And I wouldn't have been targeted for that ad if I hadn't been making purchases on Amazon, which had led them to create this profile of me as a household with a young child. So it's an ad platform which is informed by user purchase data and what Amazon understands people are in market to purchase right now.
1: So, walk me through the experience for people that are non endemic brands. And you know, I run the Martech podcast. And let's say I want to test Amazon as a DSP. I don't actually have a listing on Amazon to drive someone to. So is this just a click that drives someone to my website, goes off the Amazon platform? Do I actually have to create a shell Amazon listing? Do I need some sort of a white paper or something someone can download? How are people actually using the Amazon product to drive non-product purchases?
2: If you're non-endemic, if you don't sell stuff on Amazon, then you are allowed to send add traffic to your own site. If you are an endemic brand and you're selling widgets on Amazon, if you're selling cell phone cases, you're not able to create a display ad and send people to your e-commerce site. So let's say you're advertising the MarTech podcast, you would be able to create just like a regular display, creative and call to action and send people directly to your site where you can get people to subscribe or fill out a form. And you would be able to target Amazon users both on Amazon.com, on the app, and then they also tap into other third-party networks as well as their own sites like imdb.com. So maybe you would actually decide that you want to target imdb.com users and look at different demographics If people have recently been shopping for, I don't know, audio devices or marketing books or something like that, there's various in-market shopping segments that you can target people through as well as the regular demographics and stuff like that.
1: I think it's fascinating that marketers are using the Amazon platform, something that was traditionally made for e-commerce to not only obviously drive e-commerce sales, but also starting to just use the e-commerce data to figure out who their customers are and drive traffic off of the site. It's a fascinating way to take advantage of a place where there's obviously millions of consumers congregating.
2: Yeah. And the Amazon shopper is a really valuable kind of shopper. but generally fairly affluent, spends a lot of money on Amazon and well, Amazon just knows so much about them.
1: They definitely do. Okay. And that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to Kiri Masters, founder of Bobsled Marketing for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Kiri's going to talk to us about her tips for growing Amazon revenue. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Kiri, you can click on the link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is bobsledmarketing. It's B-O-B-S-L-E-D-M-K-T-G. Or you could visit her company's website, which is bobsledmarketing.com. Just one link I want to tell you about in our show notes if you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, check out our new website. It's martechpod.com. We've got summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our once a week newsletter that talks about all of the episodes that we're publishing. And you can also send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, or you can reach out to me directly. My handle is Ben J benjshap, B-E-N-J-P-O-D, JSHAP on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much everywhere. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Kiri Masters, the founder of Bob Sled Marketing, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy
0: thanks for listening to the martech podcast and i hear everything production Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.